Welcome back to the Launch Angle Podcast, Episode 8, hosted by Drew Jarmas and James Lesh. In this episode, we rank different social medias based upon ROI in terms of educational content and overall value. Then we talk about breakfast and a long conversation regarding routines versus preferences and really how to build new habits and routines without getting stressed out over them. So without further ado, let's get to the show. All right, we're back, episode eight, and we have a new audio setup for this one. Yeah, so um, all transparency, we completely forgot to do a number of things this week, so um, we have two mics, which we're not using because I forgot the dongle that has two USBs to connect to the laptop. I also forgot the boom arm um, to hold the mic, and then I think James might have failed to buy another yep. arm. So we are using a laundry rack right now to hold the mic, um, pretty low-tech setup. Big hopes of making it a pretty high-tech setup week. Um, we got a little bit of feedback from some of the listeners and um, they said basically just when the audio is in the car uh, you can kind of hear more of the depth um, and it'll be kind of quieter and a lot louder compared to on the phone um, it's a little bit more consistent and listenable audio so yeah I think I mean anytime I've listened to it back on the laptop it's always sounded pretty good but I think we've talked about once we get um, once we do this remotely, it'll actually probably get better, which we'll end up doing fairly soon enough, because we can then both just have our own setups that we can account for, instead yeah. of this is a little actually a little harder to get right. Yeah, don't have to be logging things over to James's apartment where right. we're doing it here exactly. and, and all of that. But yeah, if you guys ever have any feedback, just uh, feel free to send it over. You know, we definitely appreciate it because um, you know we'll listen back to the episodes you know once, but um, sometimes there will be some inconsistencies with the audio and things like that. And also if you guys have topics that you like in particular or any questions that you want covered on the podcast, we're always open to that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I think today we want to start off by talking a little bit about social media. I actually, I ran through my Twitter looking for a couple of topics that I want to talk about today and it actually kind of got me thinking about just changes going on at Twitter. Have you noticed any changes in your Twitter experience so far? I haven't really noticed any system changes. I mean, obviously there was the um, verification that was going on that was turned on then kind of turned off. I did notice a few um, impersonators with the verification, which I mean is a little bit scary. Um, what do you mean impersonators? So. There were two different verification labels, I believe, and oh, then yeah, right. I think Eli Lilly, which is like a pharmaceutical company, mm -hmm. um, they were impersonated and they basically said that insulin will be free now. Oh, wow. um, and then I believe that they lost some uh, market share because of it. Oh, I did hear about this. Um, so, I mean, that's obviously that's not a good look. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they're making some changes pretty quickly and, you know, you got to probably pump the brakes on some of them a little bit. You know, I know you want to kind of move fast, but you know, Twitter is like an existing 
pretty big company. Like you, you can't go completely with the move fast and break things mentality. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. I, no, I don't really have many opinions on what's going on at Twitter. I was just thinking about it actually more in the sense of um, ROI for your time spent on social media. I still think Twitter is probably the most dense with valuable information depending on who you follow and what your feed looks like. I've always found a lot of great articles and but I think like Elon Musk has said this week, you know, the news happens first on Twitter and I think that is true. Obviously there's speed of coverage, you can lose quality of the coverage with that. So it might not always be the most accurate, but I think it still is a valuable place for information. And, and if you're, I think it, for me, I think about it, if I'm going to spend time on social media, it's probably the highest ROI because I'll usually find something pretty interesting, something maybe more long form, like a podcast or a newsletter or a book or something. So that's pretty good. Threads can be, you know, pretty, I've actually found a few like really helpful ones for stuff I've been trying to figure out recently. Um, so that's been good. It kind of got me thinking about other social media platforms though and where I'd rank them on uh, ROI for time spent. And pretty, it kind of falls off a cliff after Twitter. I should probably define what I think of social media. It's probably Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, TikTok. Mm -hmm. That's not a ranking. That's just what I think of as yeah. social media. And maybe like a Discord or no. Reddit. You don't consider that social media? No. I okay. don't think so. So like the traditional... Yeah five at this point yeah but yeah i if i had to rank them and you can rank them too i it's probably like twitter and then instagram after that there's still some good stuff you can find on instagram yeah. i like finding like food things so recipes. top three what would be your third after that i i wouldn't have a third there's nothing else i really spend on social media after that i will say i snapchat just as like its core functionality of communicating with people i really enjoy still mm -hmm. i think it still does a very good job of that um it's probably how i keep up the conversations with some friends more than any other medium like i have friends who i don't text at all who <laughs> we only snapchat and mm -hmm. talk quite often through there so i think it's still good for that however where i do think snapchat has really fallen off the map is or, or lost the plot is the discover page yeah if you're thinking about discover pages for i don't know instagram i can always like find something useful there i'm like again i use it mostly for food and finding like recipes and stuff um you can find pretty good stuff there twitter doesn't have much discovery i guess this is a trending page really yeah or, or the stuff they put on your timeline which is usually you know stuff that other people you follow have engaged with which right. I usually find pretty valuable I'll find new people from there but I the snapchat discover page has just become a home for for ads and just I think very vice-based content it's yeah. all it's there's a lot of gambling ads it's a lot of very clickbaity card titles um it's kind of all I'll say about that but I, I just the snapchat discover page Kind of infuriates me. There's nothing uh, on there that I think is worth spending spending time on, and it's unfortunate you can't really do anything about it. You can't get it to go away, because it, it's what you say if you go to look at people's stories and things like that. Yeah, I think I would actually go. Um, in terms of my rankings, I'd probably go Instagram, Twitter, and then I would just throw in Facebook as the third, just because it's, you know, you can go on there, see some people that you don't really see on. Twitter and Instagram and I'm not really on 
TikTok and yeah, Snapchat. Snapchat has become pretty unusable uh, for me. And I don't think that our cohort is really on there as much anymore. Um, you know, I mean, I remember getting Snapchat in ninth grade. So we've been on there for a pretty long time. And I think in terms of our cohort, it's kind of lost its magic. So I do like the actual product of the communication. I feel like it's a little bit less pressure, you know, in terms of responding. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't really love Twitter. Um, I mean, I feel like there is valuable content on there, but I always feel like I'm trying to like weed through a bunch of like replies that are just off base and just like <laughs> trying to instigate um, any popular posts at this point usually just has like garbage in the comments section. So that makes it a little bit tough for me to use. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've actually been trying to use Facebook a little bit more actually to look at, you know, Facebook groups that I'm interested in because you can find a lot of, it's, it, it's basically a forum at that point, less so than it is social media. Um, I spun up like a Facebook account just to kind of explore that. But, but yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to touch on that yeah. quickly. It's something I think about. I would say if you expanded the definition a little bit of social media and you included like Quora, Reddit, YouTube, I think those three would probably occupy my top three. I'd probably go YouTube, Reddit, Quora. Yeah, because um, in some ways you could say that is a social media. You could. Yeah, YouTube is is funny because I don't. Yeah, YouTube, I don't know. I think YouTube is extremely valuable. Yeah, as, definitely. As, like time spent on there. Obviously, you can watch a lot of just I don't not garbage, but just like pure entertainment. I mean, I've fallen into the rabbit hole recently of watching. Just I watch Good Mythical Morning, mm-hmm. and I just watch them eat junk food all time classic for twenty minutes. Yeah, and I'll just rip through four or five of those in a row. Yeah, those it, guys it, have been it's going like strong. My guilty pleasure. Yeah, they've been going strong for a while. I think they were around when I was in yeah middle school, but. But no, you can still find, you can learn so much on YouTube. Um, it's really become, YouTube has almost become like a course platform in a lot of ways. Yeah. Very education heavy platform. Um, if you know where to look, which it's not that hard to find. Definitely. So. But yeah, so I, um, I threw up a um, quick story on Instagram, just um, a quick ask me anything. And we got one uh, question so far, just on breakfast. Um, Abdel asked what he should have for breakfast today. Uh, so I think it's a little bit tongue in cheek. Uh, and James had some thoughts. So I do I'm have gonna, some thoughts. I'm going to hand it over to James first, actually. Yeah, because I think I've, I've adopted a breakfast over the last maybe eight months that I've actually had a hard time eating in Philadelphia because I can't find it which is really annoying, but if I could find it, I would be having it every day still, which is cottage cheese hmm. for my breakfast. Interesting. It Cottage cheese is, I get good culture cottage cheese. We're not sponsored by them, but would would love to be. That would be great. I think their, <laughs> their cottage cheese is the best in the game, in the cottage cheese game. But no, cottage cheese as just a food, like I think it's probably got one or two grams of sugar in the form of lactose. Mm-hmm. So it's very low carb. It's very high in protein too. For like a serving of, of good culture cottage cheese, I think it's like 17 grams of protein. Um, and you can buy it in like a whole fat version. 
also. Mm. So I'll do that, and then I'll throw some berries in there, like raspberries or blackberries, which are pretty low in terms of their glycemic impact, because they're... Raspberries, I found out, are actually the fruit that are the highest in fiber. I don't know if you knew that. Really? Yeah, loaded with fiber, but also low carbohydrate. Highest in what way? Per volume? Oh, I don't know. I just... This is something I heard. Okay. Yeah, I gotcha. have no idea. Gotcha. But, um, black, blackberries, raspberries... I'll throw some chia seeds in there. Also great source of fiber and Definitely. protein too. It's like yeah. with Good enough of chia seeds, you get like 10 grams of protein. Um, so got that in there. Walnuts I'll throw in there, which is always good. And then cinnamon. And that's been my go-to breakfast. And it is fantastic. I can't yeah. do without it. So for you, why um, cottage cheese over Greek yogurt? Because for me, I would I would naturally go for a Greek yogurt more so. Yeah, I like Greek yogurt. I'll, I'll have that too. I just think, I don't know, I like the taste of cottage cheese more. Really? Okay. For some reason. Some people don't like the texture. Yeah, I can't do the texture. Yeah, I love, I, I think the texture is good. Also, maybe it just depends. I've had cottage cheese from other brands and I didn't really like it as much. Gotcha. Maybe it's just good culture. It's really good. But but no, I'll do Greek yogurt. Greek yogurt's definitely, you get a much higher uh, carb content on that, you get like 10 grams of sugar, again, in the form of lactose, and you have to weigh other things, like how that actually impacts you, because if you're if you're eating whole fat Greek yogurt, you know, that there's a lot, a lot of protein, a lot, a lot of, of fat, there. so it's, it's not like you're just, it, it's not what you would think of, just like, oh, I'm having 10 grams of sugar, it's, it's kind of a much uh, lighter load on your body, actually. Right, yeah, and... Um... I would say, yeah, Abdel, if you want a, uh, a copy-paste breakfast to go for this morning or uh, Monday morning when the, the podcast is released, there you go. But I would say in terms of just general principles for uh, breakfast, it really depends on what your goals are, right? If you're going to be, um, if you're an exercising individual and you plan to exercise that day, you know, you're probably going to want to have something that... Um, has a little bit of protein and then also some complex carbohydrates. So um, during activity that's you know moderate to high intensity, we're burning a lot of carbs. So obviously you wanna have some complex carbohydrates to go along with it. Um, and then as long as you're um, you know two to three hours away from exercise, you're gonna to wanna to have a little bit of protein um, just to continue to help that protein synthesis. So what that would look like is something like, you know, you can have three eggs, and then maybe a cup of oatmeal with some um, fruit in there as well. And that would be a great option. Then if you're somebody that's not exercising, you might not need as much carbs, but I think it's still important um, to get some carbs throughout the day, as long as you're not on like a low carb diet and you're following that. So that's really just gonna help you um, with the activities that you're doing throughout the day, help to support your brain power, and then also provide a little bit of fiber with those complex carbs. Yeah. But, um, also, if you're if you're doing like early morning training, this is something I want to cover as well. A lot of people um, want to go and just do fasted exercise, but um, they've really just found that it's better to just have a little bit of carbohydrates before exercise it helps to just stave off fatigue a little bit more. Um, there's actually. Interestingly enough, there are receptors in your mouth, um, and we're kind of getting the weeds here, but there are receptors in your mouth that actually detect carbohydrate. 
um, and they actually upregulate uh, dopamine production. So it actually improves your exercise performance really? and also your motivation and your um, perceived exertion. So you actually perceive exercise to be a little bit easier. Huh. I had no so, idea. Yep. So even using like a, uh, a mouth spray with just glucose in it mm -hmm. has been shown to increase performance, although it's negligible carbs. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder how big of a performance jump, though. I, I recently found out, too, that, you know, caffeine, obviously, is one of the things that doesn't that increase your performance before a workout reliably, but isn't it only about, like, 1%? So, that's the thing, and a lot of times, um, the doses for caffeine are just extreme. Um, mm. Don't quote me on this, but I believe um, some of the recommendations from the earlier studies were, like, 4 to 7 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. So Jeez. I'm about 205 pounds. Let's just call it, I'm 100 kilograms. I would need 400 to 700 milligrams. Yeah, that's um, not. And I think it might even be higher than that. Yeah. So that's like, to see a performance benefit, it was at least like uh, two Starbucks grande coffees. Yeah, I don't know how worth it that is. Yeah, and then also I think part of it is if you consistently drink caffeine, then you're not going to see as many performance benefits mm -hmm. versus somebody that doesn't drink caffeine and yeah. all of a sudden you're taking it. Yeah. Michael Pollan, the author, has a quote, which is, caffeine helps us cope with the world that caffeine helped create. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> which is true for a lot. Yeah, because what people don't realize with caffeine is, mo unless you're cycling on and off caffeine, like doing you know two days on, one day off, or you know, three days on, two days off, stuff like this, where you're giving your body a chance to reset its sensitivity to caffeine. Then you just, and this is me speaking, like I, I have three cups of coffee every single day and have for years now. It, that it's, a, you, you, I think you perceive it, that morning coffee is getting you to the next level when it's actually just getting you back to baseline mm -hmm. most of the time, which I don't know. I, you know, caffeine affects everybody differently, so use it at your discretion. This obviously isn't medical advice, but I've always been somebody who can tolerate caffeine, no, no, no like caffeine jitters or anything like that, so I haven't really found caffeine to be a detriment to right. my, who knows, maybe I could go try to go off it for a little while and see what happens, but I just, I don't know. I don't yeah. think I have the willpower to do that either. I mean, so my understanding of it is that for any of these stimulants, there's no real like free lunch. No. Um, at the beginning, you know, you might see boosts when you start to, um, you know, use caffeine or even something like um, nicotine. Um, but eventually you just hit an equilibrium, right? Because that energy needs to come from somewhere. You know, it's not right. like we kind of have this perception based upon some of like the pop science films like almost like limitless like oh you only access this percent of your yeah, that's not your true. brain no, that's or your myth. or your energy completely a myth um so people think like oh if i could just tap into those reserves of energy using right. x y and z then i could you know increase my performance. yeah i mean we, we we full disclaimer took alpha brain before this which is the on it supplement as a whole bunch of different little uh I don't even know what's an alpha GPC is mm -hmm. one other things, but 
I think we've noticed it's maybe helped us marginally yeah. in, so far today. Maybe. But, Could be placebo, but yeah, I, I like I like keeping that in mind that there's no there's no free lunches with any of this stuff, and there's also I like the saying it's similar things no free lunches. There's there's no solutions, only trade offs, mm-hmm. which is totally true. You're you're never you're never getting something, uh, you know, one hundred percent for free in a sense. Like there's there's no performance boost that will come at one hundred percent for free. You know, with you know, caffeine at the cost of you know potentially sleep later on, or you know, who knows, I, some brain supplement at the cost of you might crash later. Later in the day, yeah. Um, Alcohol jeopardizing the next day in terms of you know you might feel a little bit more socially loose, but the next day you're gonna be yeah potentially so hungover. I I think that's a key takeaway for people for pretty much anything is is that idea of. Uh, they're only really ever being trade-offs. There's no, no free lunches, and I think that's a really powerful thing to keep in mind. Um, kind of w- w- in the same vein, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, routine, and this was a helpful reframing of routine that I, I learned about pretty recently from, uh, the, the person I heard say it was this guy, Alex Hormozy, who you've probably seen, he's like all over social media, entrepreneur, guy makes all these videos about business. I, I, one of his videos came across my YouTube and I ended up watching it. And he talks about how he doesn't have a, a, a routine really. It was kind of railing, not railing against, but in, in reference to, you know, there's so many videos and books out there about, you know, do this routine for this, or, you know, have this, this morning routine, you know, somebody, talking about their morning routine on social media gets a lot of attention because I think implicitly it promises some sort of desired end state. You say like, oh, you know, if I could just wake up at this time every day and meditate for 10 minutes and then journal and then go for a walk, my, you know, my life would get X percentage better when it's like, it's not probably, maybe it's marginally true. Who knows? Um, I'm sure it is true that having that kind of routine can lead to benefits. But um, what he was more so saying is, the idea of a routine is actually pretty fragile. So it's like you can try to stick to a morning routine, but the problem with routines is, or any routine for that matter is we can feel bad about ourselves if we stray from the routine mm-hmm. and then you, you know, you get mad at yourself and then it's hard to keep up the habit. What he frames it as he doesn't have routines. He just has preferences. So instead of a routine where I go to bed at, 10 p.m. every night and wake up at 6 a.m. every day and then meditate and journal and, you know, do X, Y, Z after that to start my day. And that's the only way I can start my day. That's my routine. And if I stray from that, then something's wrong or, I, you know, I've, I've failed for the day. Instead, you just have preferences. So, like, you'd prefer to go to bed at 10. You'd prefer to wake up at 6. You'd prefer to meditate in the morning, prefer to journal, all these things. And, like, what framing it as a preference does is if those things get thrown off, like, you can't fall asleep or... You get stuck in traffic and you can't, or you overshoot the alarm. It's like, okay, that's just one variable that you were trying to control that got skewed for the day, but it doesn't have to ruin the day. Right. Like, I think that's the nice thing about framing it as like a preference. It's because we think about all other preferences. We don't, preference, like the word itself, you think about being kind of like deferential in the case that it doesn't go your way. 
anyway. It's yeah. you would prefer it to be one way, but if it goes the other way, so be it. So I think that's really helpful to think about. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of times we take on these things as a part of a morning routine. Like, you know, for example, I, you know, like to meditate, journal and read during the morning, right? And at the beginning when I started doing all those things, I noticed a benefit right after meditating. I noticed a benefit right after journaling or reading. But then eventually, it becomes less about the benefits from the actual activities and becomes more almost a feeling of control. So when you, for whatever reason, aren't able to do your morning routine, it's like, wow, I'm really, this day is really not in order, right? And then you lose that feeling of control. So I think at the end of the day too, it, it really isn't even about the benefits of a lot of these activities for a lot of people. It just becomes all right, this is something in the morning that's familiar and I do it every day and I'm able to make sure it happens, right? And if everything goes wrong in the day, at least I know that I did my morning routine. So it's, it really becomes less about the actual benefits from the activities. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 can, I can see that with, with some things. But that being said, it's like then how do you build a routine, you know? What do you mean? Like, if a routine is just a thing to get control over something, I, I, I don't know how, like, there's got to be a way to build a routine where from each activity you're getting, like, value out of the routine and not thinking about it as a, just a thing, to, another thing to check off your list. I don't, yeah, I don't no. really know how you balance it like that. I, I think it's but, not an absolute. So yeah. I think that a lot of people feel like that. Um, they feel more in control, and then they feel out of control when they don't do the routine but at the end of the day you need to remember like you're saying it is a preference because you started this thing because you thought it'd be good for you so if you're gonna let it affect you on the days that you don't do it like you're just freaking out and more stressed it's like it's it's not helping you in the end right so i think just realizing like this is additive you know this is something that's a preference that you're able to do some days but you're never signing up to do it every single day for the rest of your life. Right. You're meditating in order to not be so stressed. Right. So if, yeah. if the stress reduction of meditating is trying to help you like deal with the stress of the days that you can't do it, then. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense actually now that I, th so I, I, an example where I've come out on the other side of this is with sleep. So I, never had a problem sleeping and then in college my junior and senior year had a real problem like i wouldn't call it ins necessarily insomnia because it wasn't like i was totally not sleeping at all but i had bouts of like a week there a week here where I, I would only maybe get like two or three hours a night and it was purely just from you know overthinking having too much on my mind too much going on Things like this. Also, you know, junior, senior year in college, that's like a transitionary period in your life. You're getting ready to kind of move on to, you know, the next step. You can, it's natural to have a lot on your mind. And I was so obsessed with getting good sleep and what it would mean if I didn't get good sleep, what it would mean for my grades and taking a test the next day. You know, I would like work myself up so much about how important getting sleep was for my test the next day that I wouldn't sleep at all. And that would just stress me out further and further and further. And it ha it just, it happened enough where 
I don't know. I got to, I guess I got to a point where I just had to relinquish control over it, and maybe and I subconsciously made this switch to like from I need need eight hours of sleep every night, or else the day is ruined. To I would prefer, but if it doesn't happen, I would prefer eight hours. But if it doesn't happen, I'm going to live. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And since then, I really haven't had a sleepless night. Like, or if I do, it just doesn't really stress me out if I can't fall asleep because it's just like okay, I've dealt with this before. You know. I've, I've lived, it's fine, like I will totally be okay. I had the same thing with food and I think we've both kind of had this to a degree also, whereas like I would go out, if I was away from my, you know, home meals or like what I had in my fridge, which, you know, is the food I prefer, it's all like very healthy food, um, or would have to kind of be on the go or with friends and, you know, we choose to eat at, you know, some restaurant where they don't have the things that I like or prefer to eat, that used to be a big, point of stress for me and not being able to or having to eat you know like a fried food or something unhealthy that I didn't want to eat that day and that would cause me a lot of stress and lack of enjoyment and now I've just gotten to the point where it's like I know one meal is not going to affect my life in such a dramatic way as I'm making it out to be it'll be okay I'll get back on the horse tomorrow and things will be okay and is that more did you feel like that because of how you'd kind of react to the food? Like you'd feel like, oh, I ate something fried, so I feel a little bit off. I or think, was... yeah, I mean, I think there's the physical component where I, like, just because of my diet, yeah, if I eat certain foods, I will feel off. But it was making it out to be so much more. Yeah. So it, you... it was never actually as impactful to me physically for that acute period of time than in my head I made it out to be. Right, and probably because you're sitting there eating it too, thinking, oh, I'm eating this fried chicken sandwich and I know later I'm going to feel this way. And then like you're prefacing it and then you start to feel a little bit of that feeling. It's like, oh, here we go again. I'm feeling terrible from eating this food versus I think there's something to be said about, we all know people that, you know, we talk about, oh, I feel so much better eating this diet. And they're like, oh, I don't really feel different if I have like a candy bar or, Mm -hmm. you know, a kale salad, you know, they just don't really feel that. And that actually is a skill as well. Um, You know, just like we have proprioception. So that's understanding our position in the environment and understanding things going on in the Mm -hmm. environment. We also have interoception, which is a a buildable skill, which is knowing how our body feels. Um, And there's a lot of links there um, and jumping off points if anyone's interested with trauma um, where that link is actually cut off. But um, a lot of meditation as well is kind of doing body scans to help build that interoception and understand our, our body's reactions to stress so that we can kind of see different triggers and, and patterns. But yeah, I think people that are really into health and notice those things and how their body reacts to things are building more and more interoception but I think it can be too much at times and there's there's definitely something to just be kind of blind to it like all right whatever yeah whatever happens happens well, there was also like the routine thinking nested in there too because it would be you know uh, I have no other choice but to eat you know this like I don't know prepackaged sandwich from like a gas station or some spanking something up um, 
and it's like, oh, but I, part of my routine was I was going to work out later, and now I'm not going to feel good for the workout, and now the workout's ruined. Like, you're just projecting so far into the future. I'm like, the workout's ruined. This is ruined. i got to make up for it with this now. When it's just not, it's just not true, mm -hmm. um, largely. And the other thing I was going to say, too, also, it, it, it is affected by, like, how much you know about certain Definitely. things. <laughs> like, Definitely. knowing how the sausage is made, mm -hmm. so to speak. Right. Like, literally with food sometimes like if you if you know what what goes into making some foods it can cause a lot of anxiety yeah um, i would just say real quick on like the gas station example affecting the workout this is something that i think a lot of people fall into this trap it's like well i ate this bad thing for lunch you know because i made this ideal diet for myself and it's going to affect this exercise program i'm doing it's like in both cases it's like you're starting from a place where you're doing both those things to benefit yourself. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, it's like an unequal weighting. It's like your body doesn't care that much that you had mm -hmm. that sausage sandwich from a, a gas station. And now you're going to affect, let it affect you working out for the day, which is really good for you. No matter whether you have, you know, a terrible meal before or a great meal before. Like, yeah. And we've talked about this too recently, which is just like trying to tap into the fact that just as humans were much more robust and resilient than I think both of us probably for our own selves like to think we are. Right. This goes back to what I was saying again with like the sleep thing. It's I, I thought my day was just irrevocably just ruined if I didn't get eight hours of sleep, which is just not true. Like I was able to, I, I'm lit, like I'm fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> I was able to uh, make it through life, you know, having those periods of not sleeping well and I don't know I think when you're forced to go through just being uncomfortable is that's why that's why forcing yourself to be uncomfortable is, is really good for you I know like Ryan Holiday uh the stoicism guy for anybody who knows him writes a lot of books about stoicism he was talking about something where I don't know if it was Marcus Aurelius or one of the stoics had a root I almost said routine had a practice where I think for maybe a week out of the year, a month, some some time period out of the year, and th th this person was for the time, uh, you know, and hundreds, thousands of years ago, whenever this was, uh, were they were they were rich and and um, kind of like royalty. They would, I don't know how long it was, but they would pick a time and just kind of go live like off in the woods with nothing. Just to remind themselves like that they could do it if it ever came to that. Um, and you see this with modern day minimalism, stuff like that too. Just a, f consciously forcing yourself to do without some, so, so many of th these things we think we've come to, to need in order to, to you know, live our best life. To remind ourselves that so much of it is is unnecessary. Yeah, and I think for people that are in kind of this growth and productivity realm, actually going on vacation while it's abundant in some ways, right? You have a lot of access to food and things like that. Um, it's almost one of those types of retreats of minimalism in a way where you're not actually able to do all those morning routines that you typically do. Maybe you don't have as much access to, um, you know, the things that you use for work that you have to get done in a given day. Um, so I think sometimes uh, going on vacation can be 
kind of a stress point for people that are really high achieving, even if there's not necessarily something that has to get done. Yeah, I agree. Vacation is definitely a pattern breaker. I went to Austin, Texas, and then Jacksonville back in the spring. And that was the first time I traveled since COVID started. And that, that, that's when I realized too, just how much of, um, how good, yeah, cause you're out of your comfort zone when you're traveling. Right. Exactly. And I remember being on the plane on my way back to New York from be, after being away for like 12 days. And, uh, I think we had like a 45 minute just delay on the tarmac and couldn't get off. And I was just, I was just so tired and so hungry and it was so late at night. It was like one o'clock in the morning. I was just like, had just, I think maybe I was just deliriously tired, but I just kind of had a moment where I accepted it. And I was like, this is just is what it is at this right. point. And there's no, I, I, cause me from a couple of years ago would have gotten very worked up and frustrated about that. Might not have shown it on the outside, but internally I would have just been boiling, uh, you know, fighting to get out of that situation or make the best of, you know, thinking, uh, well now I won't get home until two o'clock in the morning and then the sleep is ruined and then this or that, you know. So I've gotten much better at just saying, whatever, this is what it is. We're going to roll into the next day. And that thinking like that and having this preferences over routines mentality is also makes everything you do very anti-fragile, mm. which if you're not, for those listening, if you're not familiar with the term, it's a term coined by uh, Nassim Taleb, who's an author and a whole bunch of different things. He's worn a bunch of different hats in his life, but He's got this book called Anti-Fragile where he just talks about the difference between systems that are um, fragile, so they break upon any kind of outside impact to them. So um, just take a real world example, like uh, a glass mug, if you drop it on the floor, a glass mug is fragile. If there's some outside force it can't handle, it breaks and it is irreparable. After, it, it's irreparably damaged after that. So that's fragile. Then you have... What, what is after that? There's there's kind of a middle state that I can't remember, kind of like a neutral ground where it's like, but any, anyway, so things that are fragile, they get damaged by negative forces, but things that are anti-fragile actually benefit from the imposition of those outside forces. So I'm trying to think of an example, uh, your immune system would be an example. So like your immune, your immune system is anti-fragile. You, you get sick. That's bad for a time. It's a shock to the system. But after that, you've developed antibodies for whatever infected you, and you're actually more robust I would, afterwards. I would say a lot of um, tissues in the human body are, to a degree, anti-fragile. You know, musculature, yeah, you're right. applying force to it, and it adapts. Bones, bone mineral density is improved by, you know, resistance training because you have load on mm -hmm. your spine or on your legs. Whatever. So it's improving it. I mean, obviously you can't have a ton on you to start. Right. Um, so it's a, a, a specific amount of force and yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, taking that approach definitely make, can make you anti-fragile in everything that, that you do because you're not, um, you can just kind of roll with the punches better. I also like something I saw on, on Twitter. It was like some video of some guy just doing a bunch of pull-ups in a row and the caption was like something, it was some oversimplified thing of like, you know, working out is easy. Like if you just tell your, or getting in great shape is easy. Like if you just tell your body to do hard shit, like you're going to be able to do hard shit. And it's like, well, that is a gross oversimplification. It is true. 
you know, like, and you can, again, to the, what we are talking about with, you know, your routine being messed up. If you just tell yourself, like, this isn't going to ruin my day, we're just going to go with whatever it is, you'll just go with whatever is, is happening. It becomes easier. Um, so... Yeah, and the other thing that I would say too, and I talk about this a lot with some of my exercise and nutrition clients, is having a great lasting um, habit of exercising and eating well is not about stringing as many days as possible in a row um, of that diet or um, training plan together. It's not, oh, you know, James is a a really healthy person because for the last 365 days he hasn't gone a day without a workout or without eating a fried food. It's not about that. What differentiates somebody that can't get in the habit of working out and somebody that's like a lifelong exerciser, in my opinion, is the ability to get back on the horse. It's building that muscle of, all right, I broke my streak. I had that you know, bad day on Saturday and it's a Sunday and I'm just getting right back on the horse. If you can build that muscle, then I think that you can build programs and habits that last a lifetime. It's a really like big paradigm shift where you're just thinking, okay, actually I completely screwed up on Saturday. So this is where the growth is going to happen on Sunday by getting back to it instead of being like, well, everything's screwed. I broke the streak. Right. The muscle is getting back on the horse, and that's what you're actually building. Yeah, no, it's so true. It's um, you. I I thought I thought I actually thought about this too for myself recently, which is I was thinking about how lucky I am, really, and I think you could probably say the same for yourself. And you know, this is part just to do with you know just kind of our circumstances in life and upbringing and whole host of other things that we couldn't really control, but also things that we could control, like our, our education and, and the things that we have, have pursued, but just having a pretty good knowledge and understanding of how to, how to work out, how to eat healthy, um, how, you know, massive industries are built on helping people to make these changes in our lives. And, I, you know, we've both been lucky enough to, they're just habits that we've, uh, easily had, had and have, you know, compounded on for over a decade at this point, probably for both of us. I think I started working out when I was probably like 12 or 13 yeah, for the football team. So, um, as like a proof of concept for anybody listening, it's like you can probably find the examples of this kind of thing in, in your life where it's like it may not be working out or eating healthy, it might be, but it could be, you know, art or something. Maybe you just, for, you don't realize it, but you've been sketching for, I don't know, a decade now. Mm -hmm. And you'll realize as you think back on it, it's like, oh yeah, I didn't, I'm a, I'm a good artist. And the reason for that is not because I set out with this routine every day. I'm going to sit down in the morning and draw for two hours and take all these lessons. It's like, no, you've just figured out a way to show up more often than not. Yeah. Which is really. Sometimes that's just not conscious at all. And you also know, the like, showing up part is like, I actually like that idea. Sorry to cut you off, but um, this idea of just showing up and putting in, doing something, because mm -hmm. um, I've realized that's another thing, and I'm sure you can attest to this too, like that I've done with my workouts, where it's like, even yesterday, I didn't, and I didn't even really think about it until we're talking about it now, but it's like, I 
didn't really know what to do at the gym. Instead, I just said, screw it. I'm, I just want to get outside. I ran two miles, ended up running to the gym, did a couple pull-ups, did a little bit of bench, and left. And it's just like, that's enough. Leaps you know? and bounds better than doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Way better. Yeah. Um, and yet, the thing that I was going to say is just that I think realizing that some of us naturally, just subconsciously, or how we're wired, how we're brought up, just naturally have a bigger pull towards different things, and those things are easier to make a um, routine or do routinely is pretty powerful. I mean, I think that a lot of people in the health field just naturally enjoyed working out their whole life. And I think where problems happen is that they just don't understand people that can't get in the habit of working out. And they've never had that experience of being somebody that just didn't enjoy exercising. I'm, you know, I'm simplifying and generalizing a lot. There's obviously people that got into exercising that didn't always like it and they become health coaches. But the typical archetype is the person that has always worked out and enjoyed it. So I think it's important to have empathy um, as somebody in the health and wellness field. If you've always loved exercising and realize there's plenty of things that you don't love doing and you've tried to get in the habit of doing that you never could make it stick. Mm -hmm. So um, obviously just having that empathy and also just learning a lot about actual behavior change strategies that are, you know, backed by science is super important as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, I think we might wrap on that. I'm not sure if we had much else to discuss today. Do you want to, I mean, I had one other thing, but I think I might save it for the next episode. Sure. Yeah. I think, um, we had two other things. Uh, James had one and then I had one that I think we're going to cover. We can touch on what we might talk about it in the next one. I I was going to talk about next, um, and which I think I will save for the next episode because it's, um, I don't know if it's a lengthy topic, but there's stuff to talk about with it. We're just sending cold emails to people, um, cold outreach and kind of the benefit of, of knowing how to, how to do that, especially in today's world. Um, just from an experience I had recently. So, uh, I was going to talk about that. Sure. If you want to go ahead now or... No, no, I'm going to save it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And then, um, next week I plan to talk about a little bit of, um, program design. So how to actually design your own exercise program and what questions to really ask to help, um, you know, clarify your actual goals you know, what you should be doing, how many days per week, exercise selection, and then also progressing it um, between different phases, so different months that you're um, actually working out. So that's what you can kind of look forward to for the next podcast. We're going to cover sending cold emails and designing an exercise program. Among other things. (laughs) Yeah, at least those two things. Um, And yeah, anything else that you want to say before we wrap up? No, now that we were talking about the working out thing, it did remind me from an example from, I think it's from Atomic Habits. Doesn't he talk about the guy who got into a workout routine where he started out, but he didn't even work out? His, his The starting of the habit was just, I have to show up to the gym. I don't yeah. even have to work out. I just have to be at the gym. Yeah. I think that, yeah, that's a like powerful example of just, if you just show up. Yeah. Most of the time, too, like, if you just show up for something, something will happen. Like, you'll start doing the thing. There's that quote. Um, 
actually, I don't know if it's a quote, but it's just a saying of like, motivation follows action. It's not the other way around. You can't like really, very rarely can you just will yourself to do something out of out of thin air. It's like if you just, but if you just start doing the thing, that forward progress leads to a lot of positive momentum. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, a lot of it is, you know, people start out as people that did not exercise at all and then all of a sudden after working out for a week they become perfectionists it's like if i'm not going to go to the gym and have the best workout of my life it's not even worth it it's like a week ago you weren't working out at all yeah and now like you're having these expectations on it like you should have no expectations for the first six months of working out let's say or even you should never have expectations if you're a just purely i wouldn't even say recreational exercise or somebody that just exercise for health why have expectations in general you know just just get there just do it um just do a little bit even if it's five minutes right um and i think getting that mentality of just going for five minutes and doing a warm-up you're like oh i could do another five you know once you're there you don't want to waste your time so exactly and i think on that note we are going to wrap because i think we're going to go for a run soon here yep i don't think either of us wanted to because it's like 40 degrees outside. But yeah, at best. But we'll just start running anyway and yeah. see what happens. Okay. All right, we'll see you guys next time, and thank you for listening.